podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the 10 best English-language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. We are back at it after a 3-0 super performance, which saw goals from Nicolas Gonzalez, Dusan Flavic, and a very interesting situation that played out perfectly when El Capitano Cristiano Baraghi took the ball from my very large son on the very first penalty of the game. Tito was very interesting to say the least, but played out well. What are your thoughts? I think it went about as well as it could have. Uh, Vlaovic was saying that he didn't want it. Uh, he's uh, non misento, like non misento, I think he was saying uh, when I watched the replay, I don't feel like taking it. And so Baragi went ahead and took it. And I'm very, very glad that he, uh, he hit it just about as well as he could have, because if he'd missed that, that could have been quite a situation i think where, where are you feeling where are you feeling on it mike well you're bringing in something new i didn't see that uh in the replay and if that's the case i mean there's definitely a story there oh yeah dushan vlahovic is, is saying he doesn't want the penalty after being absolutely perfect either nine for nine or ten for ten since he's been with fiorentina that's that's interesting uh, <laughs> You're sure you saw that? Yeah, yeah, I am. I think uh, I think also because that was right under the curva, and so that could have led to some real awkwardness. I think, uh, no in particular, so I can see why he was a lot more comfortable shooting it on the other end of the field, because <laughs> the uh, the denizens of the Ferrovia tend to be a little bit more forgiving than those in the Fiesole. So I, I think that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, I mean that could have been the end for him had he missed that one. Oh, based on the fiasco. But yeah, that that is that would have been uh, shipped out in November, not shipped out in January. But yeah, no, I, I think it all worked out well though. I'm pleased that uh, every everything went about as well as it could have. I would say, there. I mean, great game, three great nil. Game. The guys you want to see score, score, and the guys who step up big are the guys you really wanted to see step up. Now, are, are you surprised that Baraghi was the next guy in line to take that penalty? It makes sense, though. I, th- I think it makes sense. I mean, he's he's the captain, for one thing, and it is nice to see the captain step up and take that role. Uh, yeah. Jack Bonaventura, I think, would have been the other natural option, but he's never really been a penalty taker in his career, I don't think, which is weird for a, for a midfielder with such a good scoring record. And, I, yeah. I mean, who else would you have take it? Uh, Nico Gonzalez? Gonzalez was my thought. Fair, yeah. No, I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy with Baragi as the penalty taker until he uh until he misses one, and then then we can have another long, difficult conversation. I think. Yeah, there was a lot of confidence in it. So I'll take it. Let him let him do the next one if he wants to. Which which is a slippery slope for Dushan. Giving up one, you have the chance to give up all the other ones afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that he scored that free kick because uh, those penalties only going to jack that price up a little bit more, right? Man, that 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 free kick. Anyways, we'll, we'll, that was the thing of beauty. We're gonna come back to that, but let's stay in the uh, yeah. let's stay in the thread of getting jacked up right now. Mike, what are you drinking? I am sticking with water this morning. Uh, however, I will tell you that I've been on quite a nice run of some beautiful wines lately. 
started Friday with a, a beautiful Brunello. I would, uh, and then, I would expect nothing less. You know, came into uh, Saturday night. My wife and I went out uh, celebrating our third anniversary. Oh, um, really? Hey, Auguri, man. Yeah. Mazel tov. That's yeah. very exciting. Grazie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, happy anniversary to my wife, who does sometimes uh, listen to these podcasts uh, in between her, uh, uh, you know, stay sexy and don't get murdered, murder mystery ones. But jeez, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <So, geez. laughs> you know, priorities, right? You know, priorities. Yeah, that's a, that's a, okay. Uh, I, I appreciate she she does support from time to time, which is great. Uh, so yeah, th- there's a, a very very good French restaurant that's in town that we have been talking about going for a while. And, and when you have three very young kids during a pandemic, it's tough. Um, and it just aligned that uh, my in-laws were able to come over, watch the kids, we went out. And this was my uh, my, my first soiree with with uh, uh, Bordeaux's. Uh, I, was, I was very, very happily uh, surprised with, with how bold and rich the flavors are, while at the same time not being overpowering, which which is kind of what my wife doesn't like as much with some of the Brunellos. It almost was a a, a perfect blend for for the both of us to uh, to be able to drink, and, and and we had a great night. So, oh man, has the Brunello been dethroned atop the McMike wine listings? Not not on top of mine. It still tops on the Mount Rushmore of wine. However, there is a chance for a French wine to come in and be one of those uh, four faces. Definitely up there for my wife. Uh, I think when we're drinking together, we'll have to get some more. So this way, we're both having that same experience. So been a very good wine weekend, though right now I am only drinking some water. Do you have anything special to pop open in front of us today? I do not. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking a hot chocolate right now. And then, right. yeah, which is which is great. Oat milk only because I'm too old to be drinking regular milk now. Uh, did did uh, I get it? Yeah. Oh, I know you get it. Of all people, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get oh, it. Man, um, I made some pizzas for dinner last night, and we had a nice bottle of a uh, Barbera with it. Ooh. And then, so you're going northern Italy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I thought that that was going to be nice, and it was. But then also having to wake up at uh, five a.m. to watch the game this morning <laughs> and get the lineups posted and run the social media account and everything, uh, figured I'm just gonna I'm gonna take it easy for the rest of the day. I think because yeah, these old bones, not a uh, it's not up and running quite the same way they used to. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, back in the day when we were younger, we'd probably just get two more bottles, stay up the entire night, and, and then you'd have five o'clock roll around pretty quickly. But now you, you just can't do it that way anymore. I, I you are very correct. No, I cannot yeah. do that way. Uh, hey, tell you what, man, maybe if we ever record one of these uh, over in Italy, we'll do that. Yeah, and we'll give everyone a uh, a late night live look at what it what we sound like at uh, after about three or four bottles. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put that on our OnlyFans. How about special content? Yeah, yep. All right. Well, uh, also, we don't have any birthdays this week, which is kind of weird. Uh, the only one that might be worth noting is some guy, Freddy Chiza, I think, who's on loan at Juventus. But I mean, who really cares? So let's move on. And uh, yep. yeah, let's let's go ahead and jump right back into that Colliery game. Well, I, I think for me, the big takeaway was uh, 
Ricky Saponara, the cheese, absolutely Ooh. bawling out, which was really, yeah, really did. cool. How about you? Again, consider me surprised. It's so many times this year, he's had a great game, great performance, amazing goals setting up. Uh, and, and I just haven't given him the credit that he has deserved. So officially, I am making my stance here. Um, this team please, plays better with uh, Sapinar in the lineup. Uh, and, and, and I guess most importantly, Cajon on the bench. Hey. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as far as what went well for me, I, I, I agree. You know, Sapinar had a great game. I think that with him in there, the biggest thing that that changed was the the linkage play between the midfield and that top three. That top three were able to control the game in a way that they haven't before. And I think with those those wings out a little bit further, and then playing a little bit further up the pitch, that took a lot of pressure off of Dushan, who's been really getting clipped by you know four six legs at a time, uh, rather than just having one person on him this entire year. So. A big, big impact by Ricky, which had an overall impact to, I think, how the team played. Yeah, I think that Sapunara's natural inclination is to drop deep and move central and pro provide that extra passing option between the lines. That's where he grew up. He grew up as a 10 playing in those central areas. I mean, is a, a real trequartista, I think. And that's still how he interprets the role, even when he's wide on the left. And it also helps having Yusuf Mala, who's just... Uh, man, what an engine that guy has, just constantly pulling wide and offering that width on the left. So that's a that's a really good relationship. I I do think that uh, uh, Nolan KB, one of the longtime commenters and former writers and all around smart people on the uh, on Viola Nation, pointed out that uh, Sapanara tends to look terrible against good teams because he just doesn't have the pace to get by yeah. people. But against bad teams, he's got such outrageous technique that he can be the winning guy. And that's not a bad player to have in the locker on your roster. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that the cheese has demonstrated he belongs. Yeah, and, and I'd agree with that. I mean, even at times today, uh, there, there was one point where he, he did uh, uh, an amazing juke and, and was able to uh, – uh, get the defender spun around, but still at that point, the defender was able after spinning around to get to the spot before Ricky was. <laughs> yeah, and Ricky had to pull the ball back a little bit, but you know, nonetheless, he he does a, a great job on the pitch. There's there's a lot more cohesion, I think, when he was there. Um, I, I played basketball growing up. I will assimilate it to the motion offense on uh, on a basketball team. In a motion offense, you're just moving and and backfilling and, and and knowing where you need to go. The team that I saw playing out there today played with each other and and knew where they needed to to move in motion, in cohesion with each other, rather than looking like a, a cluster F. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it was a much better situation from from um, from a motion standpoint and and. I think it had all the difference in the world. It was great. Yeah, the the, the off ball movement was was wonderful. I yeah. think that Yusuf Mal is a big part of that because he just never stops moving, even when he like his decision making clearly needs some improvement. But he is just nonstop getting back and forth, and that adds another link 
between the middle and the top, which I think is really helpful in which this team needs. Uh, and, and he's he's not afraid to to also hit that ball, oh, strike it yeah. from mid range, which is important because so so many of those defenders. And I even remember, was it in the second half that the announcer was saying uh, this was the first time that that Fiorentina has scored outside of the box? Yeah, um, you can see that defenders are not worried about that against Fiorentina, so they're always packing that on the inside and particularly staying around Dushan. Well. With somebody like Malay, that that could change. And if he's ever ever able to really connect and drive one of those home, that's going to pull some of those defenders out. They're going to need to close on him, which is going to open up a few more lines uh, inside of that offense, which is going to make a world of difference. So I, I think that today was was a nice game, but it shows where we can get to, which is which is perfect. Like we're not even there yet. Work in progress. Yeah. That- they haven't hit the ceiling, but even in a three 0 win, that's a that's a good feeling. What a, but yeah, that, what what do you think they could have done better? What what could they have improved? Well, I, I like the fact that they kept Kokarin on the bench. Uh, I wasn't even, I, I, <laughs> he wasn't even on the roster, was he? He's still hurt. Yeah, well, just keep him there. No, no, no. Um, I'm not disagreeing. I'm I'm not disagreeing <laughs> at all. Like, let's yeah, no, catapult him into the sun. But yeah, let's have him pull a Ben Simmons and, and just, you know, say I'm not mentally able to uh, to play. I think that that'll work. I think it's more that we're uh, not mentally able for him to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just I, I, I guess that Calione had to come on. Uh, there really wasn't much that that went wrong. Um, but there was a, a, a noticeable difference when Sapinora came off and, and Calione came on. Um we just seem to be much more stagnant, which is weird because when you talk about why Sapinar is so good in this offense in certain games, it's because of the the technique and, and his skill level. Calhoun is is still the same skill level. I mean, he's an he, at one point he was all world as far as skill. Yeah, for sure. And he still is probably a step faster than than Sapinar is. I just can't put my finger on it, but Calhoun when he's in the game everything stops. Um, and, and that's not what this team needs. They need to keep moving forward, especially under an Italiano offense. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I think the difference is that Sapinara is always looking to move the ball forward. Yeah. And he wants yep. to take risks. I mean, look at all those little back heels he played. He wants he wants to move the ball forward. He wants to do cool stuff. Callejon wants to be a very safe player and just keep knocking it back, which, yeah, which just completely... Uh, disrupts any forward momentum. I, I think the one thing that worried me more than anything is that uh, Colliery just look awful. Yeah. I mean, that, that looks like such a woeful team. I know they have a bunch of injuries, especially in defense and losing Martin Caceres in what, the first 20 minutes or so? Certainly didn't help. Hope he's okay. Nothing but respect for Martin and his desire to wear no clothing as much as possible. But I, I, I'm worried that everyone's going to see this and say, see, Fiorentina should be pushing for the top four and be a Champions League team. And I don't think that's what this team is. And I think uh, running into Lazio in the midweek on short rest could definitely be an issue, especially, you know, you're already up 3-0 after, what, 50 minutes? To me, that was the right time to pull Nico Gonzalez, to pull Jack Bonaventura, to pull... 
uh, you know, a, a couple of these more key players and give them a rest ahead of uh, ahead of what's likely to be a much more difficult game on the road against Lazio, who just got embarrassed by, of all people, Giovanni Simeone. That that will definitely inspire any team. Uh, so coming into midweek against them, either they're that far down in the dumps or they just got that hard slapped and they have realized where they need to go. It can go one of two ways, but uh, it is a winnable game for us. I, I hope that we're able to uh, put a team on on the pitch that's going to be mentally prepared for the game. Physically, I think, you know, Teliano's ran these guys and they're in much better shape than they were at any point last year. So it's all mentally um, the difference between game to game. I, I think you are completely right about the the difference the mentality makes. Yeah, the fitness for sure. Also, I really liked that once they got up, they just started knocking the ball around, laid off a little, still created a lot of chances because Colliery are yeah. just just abjectly terrible. Oh, holy smokes, that is a bad Serie A team. But they they definitely definitely potential of going down. But they did. I think they got what four points in the past two games: a, a win and a draw, if I believe. Yeah, no, they they did. They beat Sampdoria. Yep. But I I don't know. I just just the way they played out there that they showed nothing to me like that. Oh wow, just what a bad team. So I think that yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about what happens when we see uh when we see them have to play against a real team, which Lazio is. I mean, Maurizio Sarri's got them playing reasonably well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it definitely definitely a big bounce back compared to Venezia. Was there anything that stood out to you in particular uh, comparing those two? Or it, was it just they came out with a better mentality and it's as simple as that? It, definitely the mentality, definitely the emotions. I, I, you can tell that the team in Venezia was very timid. Uh, Dushan was very timid the experience that he had publicly through the media and then also with the small amount of fans that were in the stadium there was completely different than it was today. Uh, and I, I also don't think that the team knew how to react a week after Rocco Camiso was very public uh, in, I don't know if that was criticism, you know, backhanded criticism. I don't know what, uh, it, what you would call that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't I don't know if the, the team knew how to respond and, and emotionally, mentally, there was a lot of fatigue. There was a lot of confusion and it really showed itself when Italiano tried to get those guys to play the game that we saw previous to, to Venezia and then also against Cagliari. <sighs> night and day, night and day, but also night and day from a, a, a scenario standpoint too. Uh, uh, yeah. Spot on tying it all into Vlaovic's status. Cause I think that's the big difference. Like you said, against Venezia, the, the traveling support of all the Fiorentina fans, every time he touched the ball, they were whistling him, all 300 of them. So there was definitely, I think, definitely some concern about how they would treat him in this game at home in front of the full Corvo Fiesole for the first time in, what, two years now? Something like that? I, I yep. think there was definitely yep. some concern that uh, it was going to be a really hostile atmosphere. And I don't think it was. I think it was... I mean, I think it was awkward for sure, but it seemed at the very worst polite. That fan base was very joyful for being back in the stadium. And I think no matter what was playing out with Dushan and, you know, yeah, 
those those 300 traveling fans weren't nice. There's a lot of social media that hasn't been nice. You know, the media ha- has been having this as a spotlight each and every day. There's always a different story. You know, I, I read one last week about Dushan being $20,000 in arrears on his rent in, in a Fiasole mansion. Like, Oh, for crying out loud. You're, you're really going into a, a, a wormhole here trying to find a story and, and villainize the guy. Um, listen, he, he shares a lot of blame. He should be criticized. Um, but but we also want to get the same type of performance that we saw from him today all the way through January, which is when we should sell him. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, definitely a tough situation. And I think the fans today showed the way that they should. I mean, after that goal, doesn't matter if he's leaving or he's going to be staying. They celebrated him in the way that that should have been celebrated. And, and it's, it's instinctual. You have to, I mean, he's a phenomenal player, whether he wants to stay here past this year or not. See, but I don't know, but bringing it back to the fan response to his goal, what really stood out to me about that was that after, I mean, he hit an, an objectively beautiful goal. Like that's a really good strike. That's very hard to do. You particularly don't think you're, you know, big, strong, rugged number nine is going to be curling one over the wall, which makes yep. it that much more impressive. But the on point, I think the fan, like the stadium wasn't that loud initially after he scored, which was sort of, I mean, there were a few sporadic cheers, but it took a sec for them to all really figure out whether or not they were going to lose their minds or not. And I, I think it was also really interesting, you know, after they, score the goal and the announcer calls the player's first name and the, the fans respond with the last name. In this one, it was Dushan and the fans responded not with Vlahovic, but with Firenze, which I think is hmm. actually a pretty graceful way to approach this, to let him know that they're pleased with the goal. They're pleased he, they, that he scored, but they also are not going to pretend like everything's peachy just because he scored like this is still a deeply uncomfortable situation and and they're going to acknowledge that i think in a in a pretty graceful way so full credit to him there i think yeah uh, you know keep in mind that the the stadium is is going to be in two different factions you're going to have the organized fan base that are part of the atf yes your favorite group and the accvc <laughs> uh which are, are building out the viola clubs uh, and then you're going to have those fans who are, are are there since childhood and maybe now they're older in a family situation. And, and they're just sporadically scattered throughout the rest of the stadium. Um, that'll probably catch on with those those fans after today's game, but I'm sure they weren't part of that experience. There were definitely some. And you saw it like as they were zooming in on uh, the celebration uh, you know, there were a lot of fans, not on the curve, uh, Corva, but, you know, on the sides, uh, you know, Mar- Maratona and everywhere, but um, that were celebrating. The, the interesting thing to me was what did Dushan do when he celebrated? Uh, there wasn't yes. a public aspect to that celebration. It was a personal aspect that he ran to his coaches and he ran to Italiano in, in specifics and celebrated and hugged him. There wasn't any tip of the cap to the fans. There wasn't any public gesture to try and re-embrace them. Not that it, it's his responsibility, because t- 
technically he didn't do anything wrong uh, in this situation. And the only reason it's public is because Rocco made it public. Um, you know, Dushan hasn't necessarily come out and, and quote unquote, dissed the fan base by any means. So uh, it, it's an awkward situation that I think the fans got right today. And I think that Dushan in, in, in the situation he's in also got right. You know, if we have this professional nature that plays out between him and the fans, I think we're going to have a good next, next couple of weeks. We'll probably have another couple highlights. We'll definitely have some more points that'll be going towards, uh, towards the table. And then we just need to see it uh, play itself out in, uh, in January. Yeah. It's, it's nothing personal. It's just business. I think is, is kind of where we're at, but yeah, no, I want to bring it back to what you said a second ago about, uh, about Rocco and making those very, very public statements as with his typical, typical flair for a little bit of bombast, yeah. which yep. is, which is actually something that I think Syria needs more of is, is the owners mm-hmm. who aren't afraid to speak their minds a little. So I might be, I might be revealing my bias here before I even ask you the question, but do you, do you think that was the right move by Rocco? Yeah, I, I can honestly say I don't think that there's a right or wrong move um, because of the criticisms that can be laid at uh, Dushan's feet. And more importantly, the criticisms that have already been leveled at Rocco's feet. You know, put yourself in, and we've been trying to put ourselves in Blahovic's shoes. Let's put ourselves in, in Rocco's shoes. Rocco has been criticized profusely by the media in, in uh, Florence and by the media in Italy, uh, in Europe. Um, and even here in the United States, you know, going back to, you know, the Cosmo situation and, and you know, what played out with uh, with Fiorentina recently. He, he is trying to I'm not going to say he's trying to protect his, his own neck, um, but he is he is trying to at least reach out and have that branch between him and, and the fans. He's trying to be open and honest in a situation that's not easy. That's not a very easy situation. And keep in mind, it's not one that he's responsible for. That's Prade and Barone. But the relationship is between him and, and Dushan, that didn't win out. The relationship between Dushan and his agent, that won out in the end. But, that, but um, isn't that always going to be the case, pretty much? The, the, the player and the agent, like that's a unit in terms of business negotiations, I feel like. And I, I think it was a little naive of Rocco to think that his personal connection was going to be worth... Uh, more to Dushan than the next step on his career. I, I, I guess, I'll, and I'll share some information that I've been hearing since going back to last February. Uh, the agent is the one who's influencing Dushan, and Dushan would have signed by now probably several times had it not been for his agent trying to break the bank for both of them. Um, is it naive of, of Rocco? Sure. I think Rocco's bravado, his personality is just that, though. I mean, that is who, who he is. You, you take it good, bad, and different. That won't change. No, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so, so that's just you know kind of to be kind of being expected at this point. So, do I do I do I think it should have been played out as publicly as it as it was in the timing that it was? I would have liked to see a different situation play out. It almost seemed kind of we're we're blaming Dushan for this situation, but I understand why. Uh, it was revealed in the way that it was revealed. And it was, more importantly, consistent. Rocco was making public statements 
very positively about Dushan, very positively about the uh, negotiations. Dushan did say, give me a, a, a contract and I'll sign it. Um, it was most importantly consistent. So when it's consistent like that, I can't blame him. No, that's fair. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually thrilled that Rocco spoke up there. I think that, especially after what happened with Chiesa, where you know, oh, we're going to sign him, we're going to sign him. He's our guy. We're not selling him to Juventus. And then on the last day of the Mercado, he leaves Joe Barone sitting in a room by himself. I, I think that Rocco understands. I think he probably learned from that because Rocco is not a dumb person, right? Like you no. don't build a, a business that size without having at least a certain amount of awareness for what's going on around you. And I think to me, what Rocco did there was really smart. He's as he's always done since he bought the team to his credit, he said exactly what's on his mind. He's never tried to hide or obfuscate what's going on behind the scenes. He's very upfront with the fans and I think that's a I think that's a wonderful thing. A lot of teams don't have that. The ownership either stays quiet or just flat out lies all the time. And I, I think that having an owner who's willing to say, here's what happened. We offered him the contract. He says he's not going to sign it no matter what. So that's the end of it. We're we're not going to we're not going to keep trying. I think that, you know, there have been plenty of mistakes from everyone involved. And I think you can also, if you want, I think you can accuse Rocco of keeping Daniele Prade and Joe Barone on board, because I think that a lot of this situation is down to their mishandling of this over the past 18 months or so. But I think that Rocco, aside from that, I'm with you. I think he's handled it very well and with, honestly, significantly uh, a significantly lighter touch than I would have expected. Uh, especially after his uh, his big media appearance right before this one was a uh, yeah a little bit uh, a little bit heavier handed I would say yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, I, I was wondering if we were going to get another one of those that just gets memed into oblivion <laughs> and this one I mean he really wasn't it was he was super calm super collected super upfront yeah. uh, what else do you want from the man you know. No, I, I think it was. I think it was perfectly fine. I, I've heard, you know, some people talk about uh, Rocco, you know, saying that he's a, a, a player's owner and always protecting his guys, but that goes both ways. You know, if if the player's not also buying into the club and the owner, then of course there's going to be a fray, and you no longer have to protect that guy and go to bat for him. I, I, I'm with you. You know, on the Barone and Prade thing. Let's go back to our podcast. It, it was probably at the end of August, you know, at the end of the uh, Mercado. And we were talking about, you know, how good that they did. And, and we were both very pleasantly surprised with Barone and Prade. We both talked about keeping uh, Vlahovic. And, and my comment, based off of what I was hearing in, locally in Florence, was this. I, I love this if and only if we sign Dushan to an extension. I absolutely hate this if what i'm hearing is dushan ends up in a juventus jersey because we don't have the control that we would have had selling him in this summer i have been very vocal in, in saying that that is what i've heard for a very long time and that is an absolute fear you know him. He, he's he's my a large adult son <laughs> i love the kid to death 
could he use a, a little bit of, of fatherly advice from someone other than his agent? Yeah, absolutely. But seeing him to go and play with Chiesa in a Juventus colors uh, for very cheap or even staying here an extra year for free would, would be gut-wrenching. You, you, you go back to the Baggio situation, the streets in Florence, I think, would be burning, not only when he leaves, but probably more importantly when he comes back. That's the type of situation where he becomes a villain then. And I've heard that it's already played out. Already played out. Discussions, contracts, terms, dollars, uh, percentages uh, for a finder fee to bring him into to Torino. Like, that is scary stuff. And everything that's played out since has been supporting the the information I've received from several contacts in Florence uh, over the past several, several months involving Dusan Vlahovic and Juventus. And if I'm hearing it, I can guarantee you that Fiorentina is. Why have, have we allowed this to play out further? That's my frustration. I have no frustration with Rocco. I have no frustration necessarily with the Vlahovic situation as it, as it plays out on face value the whole Juventus and Vlahovic situation is something that Fiorentina should have controlled because that's where they lose the fan base that's where the Fiasole will, will start burning things and, and take the protests directly to and, and pretty soon the, the new headquarters will be opening up so wherever they're going to be having their offices whether it's across from the Franchi or uh, you know uh, up in the hills there They'll make the travel. That That's a scary situation. I do not want that to play out. No, the, uh, there's definitely going to be some form of protest, no matter how this winds up going, I think, um, unless Vlaovic extends his contract, which we all know is not going to happen by now. I, I think, uh, I don't know. I still think there is a chance that he moves in January. I think that a team like Liverpool, uh, Manchester City, uh, maybe Real Madrid is going to, really really need another striker at some point and they're going to shell out they're going to see they're going to see young probably available for fairly cheap given that his contract's running down and he's not going to extend not cup tied so they'll be able to drop him right into the champions league i think someone's going to come in with a big offer and i think it might be enough to persuade valvich and more importantly darko ristich his agent to, to go ahead and make the move. And so I, I'm still holding out hope for that. I don't think that's unreasonable. We've seen things like that happen all the time. I mean, I, I'm i old enough to remember Dimitar Berbatov's midair of like <laughs> getting rerouted into a, into Germany, yeah. right? Like, the, like these things happen. You plan everything out and then the human element comes in. So I, I'm hoping still that uh, that he moves in January, even though it sounds like you're not you're you're not very hopeful about it. The, the only positive situation, he's not resigning. The, the only positive scenario that could potentially play out is that Fiorentina take less money. And, and you still hear them talking about 70 million euros. Guys, we don't need 70 million euros for him. Go get 50 for him and take him off of our books, put him into a situation that's not in Italy. Uh, again, if, if if we hold out for 70 and a team tables 50 and then we wait again until which we'll probably get an offer of 30, 35, 40 million 
from Juve in, uh, in, in June, that is going to be the only team he will go to. I, I can say unequivocally in the summer, there will be a paltry offer for him and it'll probably be spaced out as far as years and, and we may not even see all the money. But January is the time that we need to move him. There are plenty of teams that need a caliber player like him, and he will come at a discount. We, we let his contract basically expire. There's only 18 months left. We have to sell him 50 million, go to Liverpool. 50 million, go to Man City, go, go to Real Madrid. I hate Real Madrid, but go there because I hate them less than I hate Juventus. Fair. And I, I will say, too, I think that... You you brought this up actually. You've got this on the uh, on the podcast plan here. That uh, in the past what week and a half, I think both Ricardo Sotil and yep. Dimo Krastev have gotten new deals from from the Viola management. Do you think that that shows anything new? It shows that we're learning, um, which I think it's easier to sign those players now than it is. Um, waiting another year from now. So, so that is showing some, some growth. Uh, we have the Chiesa situation, the Vlahovic, and then obviously Drogowski is still playing out. That's, we could, that's the one that worries me. Cause I think it's a lot easier to sign a youth player who has yet to make his senior debut and a unbelievably talented, but deeply inconsistent young winger, like getting those guys signed to new deals, eh, doable, getting a guy like, Drongovsky, who's a full international and as admirers all over the dang place. To yep. me, that's going to be really where we can see if there's been progress in that department. It's going to be very, very tricky because we don't even hear any talks about it anymore. Uh, yeah, obviously, he got injured. He went away, um, you know, try to try to get healthy, taking his time to get healthy again. But, you know, th- there's always been that level of disrespect to the guy. And, and I think that he's felt that as well. He's in control of the situation. I, I, I think that knowing that Rocco came in and bought a club for $160, $180 million, uh, which is what was rumored to, to be what he spent, um, you think about in, in, in one or two players, that's the end. Like Chiesa, had they played their cards better, right? Either could have re-signed him or sold him at the agreed upon price of a hundred million. I mean, there was a, a price that was agreed right there. Dushan, had they re-signed him after learning from the Chiesa moment, would have had an extended contract until probably 2025, 2026 last year. And then we would be in a scenario where Rocco can keep him, as he said he probably would have, or you sell him for a hundred million. There's 200 million right there. And now you're talking about Bart. Bart would have been re-signed after phenomenal performances when he was in Empoli, phenomenal performances since he's been back, and and then also playing pretty well when he gets an opportunity for the Polish team. So um, there, there's a lot of egg on the face there, but it is nice, and it needs to be said that Krostev and Sotil are re-signed. But the, the other aspect of this is, is there anybody else that you would need to re-sign afterwards? Like all of that young talent, where is it? Well, uh, funny you should ask. Apparently, the next man they're going to start talking contract extensions with, I've heard, is Jack Bonaventura, who I hear is a real up-and-comer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hey. that's a Friday special. Yeah. Get him $4 million a year, right? Oh, for crying out loud. No, I mean, I think there's some Primavera guys who I wouldn't mind seeing get uh, get their professional deals 
Uh, there's a couple yeah. of other younger guys. I think that Igor, for example, you could maybe lock up for a bigger deal in theory. I think, uh, oh, who else? Well, Lucas Torreira, you're going to have to wait until after the season to make that loan official. Uh, Eric Pulgar is a guy you could consider extending. Uh, Costervilli probably not just signed an extension. So, yeah, not a whole lot of options. So, hey, that's positive. Less Look at this. There's fewer things to go wrong, Mike, and we like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's go to a break and uh, let's regather ourselves here, and then we'll come back after the break and we'll resume our regular programming. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's wrap this particular podcast up and let's spotlight a few players. Uh, the Fiorentina Femminile, after a pretty woeful start to the season, uh, turned things around a little bit, huh? Three wins on yeah, the trap. Who's uh, who's standing out to you recently? Uh, I'm going to go with Neto. Claudia Neto has been performing at levels that everybody expected her to be playing at coming in last year. Yep. She has three assists in the past three wins. She is in form, dribbling up and down the pitch. I remember watching games last year, and she was doing just that, except she was dribbling into people. Right now, you watch her, and she is the person that came as advertised. You know, she's able to dance around players, spin around, you know, almost, uh, I'll draw a, a, a similarity to a Castrovilli. Uh, yeah, on the yeah for sure. You know, she's doing a great job, and I think that she is um, also a big driving force being an older player, which this team needs. Uh, she's really galvanizing this team and being a leader, which it was missing last year in that year of flux. And here again, we're in much more flux based off of the <laughs> ins and outs that played out. She, she's doing a great job. I, I love what I'm seeing from her. For sure, yeah. Uh particularly set set piece deliveries too she's been killing it off of corners i think uh are all of her assists actually from corners over those past few games two of which i don't i don't know about the third okay cool fair enough i think uh i can't remember i think i'm gonna yeah netto great great call uh i'm gonna i'm gonna flag up karen london who's just been yeah. ridiculous four goals in her last three games which uh i hear is a pretty good return she's She's got six now on the season, which is more than Sabatino, which I really didn't think anyone on this team was going to outscore Sabatino. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hat trick at Lazio, which always feels great. And then scored against Verona, too. And uh, yeah, just looks like a really smart, versatile player. Very quick coming in off the right. Uh, love her. Love the way she times her runs off the ball. Yeah, I, I think that she's going to be one. I think she's one of the more underrated signings I've had I knew nothing about her coming from oh, definitely underrated or or, or a bro I think maybe is that is the team's name I'm sorry Swedish 
people uh, for butchering that. Or bro? Skip it. I'm, okay, we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> who stood out? You're, you're a linguist. Oh, you're a oh linguist. man, yeah, we're in trouble. I, and I think she has she has two assists during that time. I she believe, does as have, well, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, she has. She's at six goals and two assists on the year, so she's just been yeah. unbelievably productive. On fire. Yeah, huge, huge fan of uh, what she's been doing for Ponico's Ponico's setup. Uh, Lonies. I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, Gabriele Ferrarini here go a little bit off the beaten path because he's he's definitely playing well he's earned his first two caps for the uh italy u21s which is really exciting coming in at right back i think he's played a total now of like four minutes for them but you know he's he's still there uh it's a cap. Hey, it, it counts. They all count. Uh, he's he's all much more than us. Yeah, he does have more. He's played four more minutes at youth level than I have. This is true. Uh, yep. But yeah, he's he's at Perugia, and uh, he's started a few games, and just looks he looks like a really solid player. Very very good getting up and down. I've been I haven't watched all of his games honestly, but I've seen a couple of Perugia games, and what I've seen of him, his passing is really really good. Uh, he can cross it, and he's also uh, playing as a wing back, almost like a wide playmaker sometimes instead of just running up and down and then trying to get to the byline and center it. He's a uh, he's also like curled some passes in behind. He's played some three balls, just really creative player. And if he can sort out the defensive side, which for a younger guy is always the trickiest part, I think. He's going to be really, really good. And he's also shown that he can play on the right of a back three in a pinch as well. So that kind of versatility, that kind of skill on the ball, I think he's got a bright future, whether that's in Florence or elsewhere. I just hope we don't see a back three in Florence for a long, long time. Hey, maybe maybe Cochran can play there. Uh, like like a really far back three, like so far back, he's back across the railroad tracks beyond the Ferrovia, like that kind of a back three. Yeah, Maybe with him and like yeah. Cyril Terrio and Hussein Karja. Yeah, yeah. I feel icky now just even saying that name. All right, let's, um, yeah, let's, wa- let's wash your mouth out <laughs> with something a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, another Gabriele, uh, your boy, uh, Mr. Gorey. Ooh, yeah, that's that's a lot uh, other, better. Uh, other than being just a beautiful human being, which Fiorentina have a lot of those, uh, nine games played, nine games started, and he's he's playing most of the time in those games. He's averaging 88 minutes. He has four goals, one assist, uh, which is a, a tear uh, when you think about where he's coming from last year. So he's, he's definitely performing very well very very well um and it seems like any time that casenza is going to score it's, it's there's like a 50 50 chance recently that it's going to be him that's putting that ball in but a lot of his goals are coming in you know the first 15 20 minutes of the game so he's he's kicking things off for them uh going back to the whole cochran situation <laughs> january comes around why not kick cochran to the curb just void that contract out pay him to leave and then uh, bring Mr. Gory back over. I, it would make the team handsomer on, on average, and I do like that. Uh, the other thing about Gory, I don't remember who it was against, but if you if you look up, I think it was two weeks ago, he scored an absolute worldie uh, against somebody, like bounced off three defenders at the top of the box and just uncorked one with his left. 
Ooh, just just a just a naughty boy. It's what it's what you want to see out of a striker is a little bit of naughtiness, right? And uh, you feel really good saying that, don't you? Oh, I do. Oh, Mike, <laughs> I do. All right. Uh, sorry. Now that I've uh, fanned myself a little bit here, uh, Primavera players, who's who's really jumped out at you recently for the for the kids? You know, I, I like the fact I was I was going to highlight a couple things. Um, Crossdev's contract, the fact that we're winning, and Aqualani's performing well. Three and uh, three in a I, row for the for the Primavera too. Yep. Uh, I am going to highlight, and I may need help on this name because I, I have no clue how this is even pronounced. Uh, Destiny Egorevba. No, no, no. Let, let me hear it again. Destiny Egorevba. Yeah, that sounds great to me. That sounds great. No, you know what? So one, more, one more that, time. One more time. Destiny Egorevba. Yeah, see, that time you sounded so confident with it. I think that's definitely how it has to be said from here on out, even if it's not right. Even if it's not right, because to be honest, those are the only three times I've ever said this name <laughs> out loud. Every other time I was practicing, it was in my head. And you have no idea how it sounds when you say it out loud. But, um, you know, talk about a, a kid that's coming in with an opportunity. He signed for us in the summer for free, coming over from Verona, has already had some times in the uh, Italian under-19, under-18 uh, teams, and uh, saw his his first opportunity for goal um, against Piscara. It just seems to be a, a, a nice outlet of looking to go and see where are there some more young, talented players on this team. Keep your eye on this kid. Uh, if he's on the U. 19 u18 italian teams if he's already scoring after only being here for two months some opportunity could be knocking on the door for some more italian strikers uh which is exactly what this squad needs right now uh better than the russian ones at least i'll uh no I, i'm with you i like <laughs> destiny egorev but man god just does sound that's such a good name first and foremost Agarebba. first and foremost just a wonderful name so I'm, yeah, yeah definitely need to definitely need to talk him up a little bit more yeah he i also uh, he's versatile too he can play out wide he can play through the middle yep just yeah yep. looks like a fun player i'm a i'm gonna go to the other end of the field and uh if you're doing the attack i'll do the defense let's because uh, i want to flag up lorenzo lucchese he did actually get the winner at sassuolo a couple weeks ago with a header and he's you know good young defender but he loves tackling. I don't think I've seen a player who likes to slide in as much as he does. And it's really fun. Like he's got a little bit of a, that Lucas Martinez Cuarta attitude in him where he's just always going to go in there and try to impose himself. And that that's just fun to watch. He's all action. He's going to come out and he's going to get grass stains all over his uniform. I'm sure he was one of those kids or when he got like home from playing his mom or his dad or whoever was doing the laundry was like, how do you get grass stains on the inside of your shirt? What is the matter with you? I, I, I like players like that who are just real enthusiastic, want to want to come through and just wreck things. And he's he's definitely got a little bit of that wrecking ball. And so yeah, here in here in Philly, we we call those a Philadelphia blue collar kind of player. We like them here. Do you like them enough to throw batteries at them? <laughs> uh, is he Santa Claus? <laughs> Oh, I, you know, we're uh, we're almost to the time of year where we get to find out about that, I guess. 
So yeah, we will we will definitely check back in. Yeah, I feel like Philly fans have done just so many more things that are just as bad, if not worse, since then that we can kind of even get rid of that Santa Claus story. Because uh, there's just so many more things that have happened since. I don't know, man. I think if you throw batteries at Santa Claus, that's that's going to stay on the books for a while. Anyways, uh, before we wrap this up, let's go ahead and welcome producer Mike in. Hi, producer Mike. How's it going? All right. Just wanted to say we're glad you could join us. Know you got some stuff going on right now uh like family personal health things we won't go further than that so everyone uh think good thoughts about producer mike uh the man could use it he works way too hard putting us putting up with us bozos to need anything yep. going wrong in the rest of his life so hey man we're all thinking of you send you our love i just had to check in and make sure that tito wasn't just sitting here eating three bags of funyuns on air and calling it a <laughs> podcast so I do. I thought about it, but I, that was the first half. I've, I've only, then we had intermission. I've only got two bags of onions, so it didn't seem like it was worth it, you know. But yeah, well, I think I think in that case, uh, we should probably call this before I start rattling these uh, these bags around too much and driving <laughs> producer Mike crazy. So hey, everyone, it was fun. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all next time. Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Producer Mike produced this episode. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from violanation.com. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Sports Social Podcast Network.